0: Welcome to What The Ish. I'm your host, Patricia San Pedro. Today, you'll meet Larry Olmsted, a former reporter and media executive for 25 years. From the New York Times to the Miami Herald as managing editor, where he helped lead the newsroom to two Pulitzer Prizes. When he left that career behind, he found his true calling, to lead a life of service. Today, he is CEO of the United Way of Northern California and leading those communities to recovery during COVID and after the devastating fires in Paradise and Reading. Hey, Larry Olmstead, welcome to What The Ish.
1: Hey, Pat San Pedro, so good to see you.
0: So great to see you, good morning.
1: Ah, you've got your coffee. I have something too, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I need it because I'm on West Coast time here.
0: I know, so it's very early for you. It's not as early for me, but. We're both cheering with morning coffee. Absolutely. So before we even start here, well, we already started, but aren't you glad you're not working in the media anymore?
1: That's actually an interesting question. Uh, my, my wife still does work in media. So I hear a lot about uh, the, the different challenges faced uh, in the media business. And uh, I, I think that it would, I would find it challenging. On the one hand, on the other hand, things evolve, things change all the time. And after I left the media business, I said, "I'm not going to be one of the people who wishes for the old days." Although many of, in many ways, I do. Um, you know, we have to embrace change. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a challenging time, and I think that it it matters for me in terms of media's impact on society and the ability to tell stories in a way that uh, help society move forward, as opposed to keep us mired in in you know controversy and difficulty.
0: Right. Oh, absolutely. So, just take take us back um, right before you made the big switch. <laughs> I like to call it that, because. It was a big switch you know from all your years working in in the media everything that you did you could give us a little brief you know overlook and then what was it like right before you know what were your days like right before you switched to this and then i want to hear all about what you're doing now
1: sure um yeah my history i i grew up uh or came out of college totally interested in being a journalist i was eating and sleeping and breathing journalism I worked 60 hours a week on my college paper uh, and uh, still uh, looking for my degree as a result and, uh, and and just totally enjoyed my journalism career I worked in Baltimore uh, New York uh, worked for the New York Times uh, for a while worked at the Detroit Free Press uh, had a really nice career and uh, as you know culminated uh, in Miami uh, working for the Miami Herald and the, uh, and became a corporate media executive. So it was a fantastic career. And at the point where, like I like to say, the media business left me because I was working for Knight Ritter and it got sold. And, uh, uh, you know, I had to transition into something else. But at the point where the media business left me, I think the really important thing for me was that I saw we had advanced knowledge that Night Nightmare was going to be sold. We had uh, about an eight or nine month period where that possibility was looming in front of us and then was actually going to happen. And I used that nine months to transition my mind. Uh, I used that nine months to um, say, OK, I've got it all in front of me and I understand what's going on. And what am I going to do with, with my life moving forward? I made some decisions that were, you know, some were good, some were not so good, probably. Like one of the not so good decisions was um, uh, I thought, hey, now's the chance for me to finish my degree. And I took I took one course online and then I went back to work because I'm <laughs> kind of that kind of person. And and uh, that that actually would have probably been a good idea to finish my degree at that time. However. Um, in the meantime, you know, I, I dove into other things and, uh, like I said, to me, the best part of that transition was being willing and able to let go Mm -hmm. of all of that. And, um, you know, Pat, my last comment on this was I worked for the New York times for a while and the New York times, of course, is a great institution and the people who work there, it's very easy to. Have that as part of your identity, so, you know. No, words you're walking around, your name all of all of a sudden becomes Larry Olstead of the New York Times, you know. Right, you, right. You, it's all, it's all. Mm-hmm. You want to. You're at a cocktail party. You want people to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> work for the New York Times.
0: You, you wear your business card on your lapel.
1: <laughs> exactly, and and um, and and I realized after a while that hey, am I, am I wrapped up in is my identity as a journalist or is my ad- identity as someone who wants to be in service? And for me, journalism was always a calling and it was a calling about service. And I, and I think that was the important transition for me to understand that I love journalism, but really what my life needed to be about was service.
0: Isn't that so interesting? I think so many people um, identify with what they do, as who they are. And that can be that can be a New York Times editor or reporter, right? Or it can be a mom.
1: Yes. Or no a dad, about it.
0: or a wife.
1: Yeah, I think the what it gets at is not not so much what's your title or what you're doing, but why are you doing it? You know, what what is the why for you? And um the uh uh, it's very, you've been in the media business. It, it's part of the media business is about, oh, I have a chance to express myself. Uh, what's the big thing if you're working for a newspaper, uh, the byline? Uh, you know, we would, uh, even actually in my office, you see there's a little frame behind me. Mm-hmm. On that, what's in that picture is the um, plate from the the front page of the New York Times, the day I got my first by, front page byline at the Times. Oh, wow. And the, and the Times' um, uh, routine at the time might still be is to, uh, when you get your first front page byline, they, they give you a reproduction of the plate. And that, so that individual, that individual uh, kind of reward feeling, that individual contributor thing, and what I've learned in in the rest of my life is that actually the world is not an individual contributor arena. The world is really a, a complex interaction of human beings and our service, you know, needs to be thinking about teams and thinking about collaboration and thinking about what impact am I having on others? Uh, so I say all that not to diss any of my experiences before. I I loved working for the Times and I, I loved being a journalist. But um, there, there's. I found that I need to be thinking in terms of service and why I'm doing all this.
0: But I have to ask. So, what was the story? That's oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you brought it up. <laughs> no, no. A- actually,
1: uh, it was um, uh, the um, the authorities were indicting uh, the managers of a of a um, uh, process where. They were giving uh, construction, school construction projects out, and they were doing it. Um, you know, it was corruption. Ah. And it was actually an easy story. The 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 interesting thing about it was that the Times editors were just felt like they needed to I needed to be on the front page. So they had a press release. They said, this is gonna be a front page story for sure. Let's have Larry Writer. That that's basically how it went down. And um the uh, is that kind of place where they they feel like those types of things are important uh, as a way of just, you know, uh, moving you into the staff, and, right. you know, and, uh, kind of integrating you into the uh, operation. So I, uh, yeah, it was a, it. yeah, it was an <laughs> interesting place, no question about
0: it. I love it. Well, you know, for those that don't know, Larry and I worked together many years ago uh, at the Miami Herald. I can't even remember how long ago it was, Larry. I left there. I think I left. I left in 2001. I left in April 2001. How can I forget?
1: Yeah, that was just after I left.
0: That was just after you left. But, you know, knowing you from from our time there, um, I always knew that you were a good human being, that that your essence was about service. You know, it wasn't about anything other than that i mean it just oozes from you so that's why i wanted to talk to you today cuz i just Appreciate think it. you're you're awesome so so let's fast forward then um to what it is that you're doing now how did you get to this you know it's a definitely a transition from what you were doing before different
1: yeah yeah thank you be uh the company we used to work for, as, as you might remember, uh, was uh, very big on community activity and community affairs. Mm-hmm. And part of that was a uh, relationship with the United Way. Uh, and uh, throughout my career in journalism, I, I had a lot of exposure to United Way. Uh, newspaper companies wanted to be civically active. Mm-hmm. Um, as basically after I left, the uh, newspaper business, first I went into consulting and I did uh, human resources, organizational development, executive coaching. And one of my clients early on happened to be uh, United Way Silicon Valley, the United Way in San Jose, California. Um, and that came about through relationships of course with the previous company. Um, the, I did that work, um, that was fine. It happened that that agency ultimately hired another former colleague of mine to be its CEO, um, a woman named Carolee Hutton. Mm-hmm. And Carolee had been an executive at Knight Ritter as well. Uh, she ultimately asked me if I w- could help her with a human resources search. And at the time, I said, well, actually, you, why don't you just hire me because <laughs> available. And so she did. And uh, That's that great. Was- Right, that was the start of my career at at United Way. Um, and uh, Pat, I'll tell you, when I first took that job, I felt a little bit like a hired gun. Uh, I knew a lot from my consulting work with United with that United Way mm-hmm. and a lot from talking to Carol Lee that they had they had some issues that I could help with, that I could fix. I was going to work each day, but I have to tell you that I didn't feel initially fully invested. Uh, I felt like, oh, I'm coming in, i'm, I'm taking cleaning up a couple of things, taking care of a couple of things, um and enjoying uh, you know, for the first time in a long time, kind of a nine to five job right. Um, but as time went on, I became more and more invested in the work of that agency uh, in the organization itself, uh, which had some significant challenges and um and just dove in to the point where when that organization finally it's merged now with the United Way in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. when that happened, uh, all you know the executives, including me, you know we, we, several of us, well, I lost my job. see I, I was laid off in in that merger, but I wanted to stay in United Way at that point. I'd invested so much in United Way that um, and I'd learned so much, and I realized the power that we could have in terms of helping people. Mm-hmm. Jobs became. I looked for a CEO job specifically because I, I, I wanted. To, I did not want to be. You wanted to be in charge. I, well, I yeah, I wanted to be not things happening to me. Let's right. Put it that way, um, uh, as was happening in San Jose, and uh, uh, the positions that were open at the time, there were three CEO jobs in California that were open. Um, Uh, One was in Fresno, the other was in Riverside, and this was the smallest one in in Redding, California, northern part of the state. Um, I wouldn't say I knew nothing about the North State, but I knew pretty little, Mm -hmm. the other places. But as I did my search, I found that this was the place where United Way could make the biggest difference. This was the place where um, the need on the one hand of the community was very high. On the other hand, the caring power of the community was also very high. This is a place where people are willing to roll up their sleeves and help. So this ended up being the best choice for me uh, mm-hmm. because this was the place I could serve and, and serve well. And it's worked out that way, so I'm, I'm happy about that.
0: So you got there, um, I, I don't know like specifically when you got there in relation to all the very um, big issues.
1: The fires oh absolutely um it was two thousand and sixteen when I started, and um we were a very small united way we we had i uh, my, counting myself five employees mm-hmm. and we were covering we covered nine counties in Northern California they're very rural counties uh thirty thousand square miles, so you can imagine five people covering thirty thousand square miles doesn't really wow. work out very well um uh but we we were diving in and doing work and then um in July of 2018 um, uh a fire broke out near Reading, uh where we're headquartered and it ultimately swelled into uh, a wildfire that uh destroyed about 1400 homes in our communities um it hit it went into the city of Reading um uh doing some devastation on the west side of the community uh i'll never forget the night that it was clear that the fire was now in redding itself and driving down to our office uh at the time and you know parking in the parking lot you know the we all the power was gone uh, was out um and it was dark and i looked up in the hills above our Office, there were flames. Oh know, my God! I get, on. I have so,
0: goosebumps.
1: Yeah, so uh, we had to evacuate, of course, our our premises for several days, um, and uh, so that was the start of what has been since then uh, basically three straight years of crisis of dealing with crisis in our community, um, and unfortunately, uh, that event. Turned out to be almost a small event compared to the campfire, which occurred in November. Everybody probably remembers the city of Paradise yes. uh, destroyed in Butte County. Um,
0: That's four, your area? That's your area?
1: Absolutely. Oh.
0: Um,
1: and 14,000 homes destroyed.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Are still Our agency and, and others still involved in the recovery for that incident, uh, our agency is, has spent this year already more than more than a million dollars supporting uh, intermediate housing for people who lost their homes in that fire and that fire of course was about three years ago. So the recovery from these incidents, you know people see it on the TV, they say, oh, that's great let me send a contribution. Those contributions are very welcome. Uh, and then they think, oh that's that takes care of that. Right. Um, these people are in recovery mode for for years sometimes. Um, the car fire that hit Redding, mm-hmm. the one that forced us to evacuate our homes, um, we wrapped up and the community wrapped up its recovery efforts uh, in April of this year.
0: Three, four uh, so, years, three years later?
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of the story on wildfires. And for us, it was transformational. I mean, our whole agency is different as a result of responding to that. Um, And then last year, COVID, of course, everybody, that's impacted everybody's life. Uh, We're in in every way, um, internally and externally, that has impacted us. Um, Again, we have pushed out probably about 1.7 million or so in assistance to our communities, um, obviously in concert with others uh, to deal with the COVID disaster.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So to me... Those events have been transformational, um, uh, transformational personally. Um, during, during the campfire, um, the uh, we gave emergency financial assistance. That was the first thing we started doing. And you go down to those centers, the disaster center, and I probably talked myself to at least 800, 900. Uh, people who lost their homes and lost everything in their homes Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and when you do that there's um, there's an impact on you when 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 some of it is a negative impact you know Mm -hmm. you you worry about compassion fatigue and so forth but a lot of it is a real empathy and understanding that um the and almost Gratitude for the opportunity to help people at a point in their life, which is the maybe the most difficult point of their life, period. Sure. And and you say, what a privilege to be part of something that can assist people mm-hmm. in, in this time. So it is just transformational for me and for our agency. And, and Pat, we now are an agency with um, uh, uh, 25 employees going on, 30. Oh, you've grown. <laughs> Yeah, we have um we were before the car fire, we had one office in Reading. Mm. We now have operations in Chico, we have a permanent office there, uh, and in um to two of our other counties and uh and people on the ground in other counties. So we've we've grown, our impact is greater. Um, and it's basically because people saw us reach out directly to people in their time of need and deliver. Deliver real service.
0: They saw the they saw the uh the human touch, right? The the the
1: one-to-one. Yes, absolutely. And and the commitment. Um the what, commitment. We've, what we've, you know, as I said, we're still we're still helping the campfire mm-hmm. survivors. You know, other people may be, oh yeah, let me move on to something different. You know, no, no, we're still in there. <laughs>
0: How how does someone, I just, so many thoughts come to my head, you know, how does some, 14,000 people, you say, lost their homes and one of them, the other one was 1,400. How, what do they do? I mean, I can't even imagine how you go from, where you go from there when like, I mean, of course, what matters most is your life, your your loved one's life. That's, we know that. But it's your home. It's like everything. How do, how do people Go on, and 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 what do they do, and what does that do to them? I, I yeah. can't
1: even. Yeah, that's that's such a great question, and the story, of course, the answer, of course, is different for different people. But basically, what we see first, people come out of those situations. First of all, they're in a fog, uh, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. and I'm sure people who might have, might have endured uh, Hurricane Andrew back in the '90s or or. Or things like that in the Miami area can relate to this. Um, so one of the big challenges is that the steps you do need to take uh, involve dealing with bureaucracy, you know, and and you're kind of in a fog, right? Um, so it's difficult. But I think I think what happens is that uh, first of all, a lot of people will lean on uh, other family and friends mm-hmm. for before, for before that initial hey. Can, can I stabilize uh, and to me that's one of our big um, um, uh, things that we want our clients to do let's get them stabilized which mm-hmm. means um let's let's get them out of living in their RV or sleeping on somebody's couch or they're in a tent in a campground um, and remember we have a mostly rural area so uh, a lot of the people who are impacted by these blazes um, um okay, I, I put up a tent somewhere, you know, that kind of thing, right? right. Um, so the first thing is to get them stabilized to the point where they can actually access, receive, and go after services. And, that, and that's a challenge in itself, especially in our region where um, the geography is such, uh, the road network is such, transportation isn't always easy, and so forth and so on. We end up find helping people in our other agencies. Hey, I just don't even have enough money for gas to drive the 50 miles where services actually are located. That kind wow. of thing. So, so we help people with that. And then I think what 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 happens is people, of course, they lean on, on family. They lean on their spirituality or their mm-hmm. church uh, environment or what have you. Um, you see a lot of people. The big decision, I think, for a lot of people in in those two big fires was, do I stay or do I relocate, mm. relocate to other family, relocate to other places? I've had it with wildfires, so forth and so on. And uh, Pat, I'll tell you one quick story, um, which is sad but emblematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we dealt, we we worked with a, a gentleman in the car fire uh, who lost her home up here in Red Hall. He lost his home up in Renning. And he, um, you know, he got some assistance from us. He got assistance from other organizations. He said, "I'm good." He said, "I'm going to, I'm going to relocate." And he relocated to Paradise.
0: Oh my goodness gracious! So now he's there. Um, um, four
1: months later, five months later, he's at work in uh, the morning of November eighth, and he gets um, a, a text from a neighbor and the neighbor's text includes a picture of the dude's house oh. which is totally engulfed oh my in flames. god good and his neighbor says you know basically big fire here your house is gone oh. um and and um so i'm i'm talking to this guy at the uh, emergency assistance center uh, down in Chico and this is what i mean by you're talking to you know hundreds of people who are right and, and they come in, they're sharing their stories, they're there and so he shows me the picture on his phone. And then he's like, he said the bad thing is that the guy who took this picture did not make it out. Okay. And you'll recall that fire killed 85 people. Yes. Um, um so that's the kind of thing, you know, that that was going on. So anyhow, the recovery process for these folks is like anything else. You have that process of grief. You go through all these seven stages of grief. Um, You um, get the assistance that you get. And and I think finally, you know, people come to terms with um, there's got to be a new life and a new normal. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very challenging. We this year, we did a program uh, working with uh, the Red Cross helped us uh, with some funding. And we did a program where we paid for the for mental health counseling for, as it turned out, several hundred mm-hmm. campfire survivors, because uh, that's the other hidden thing that people don't always think about. When you go through this kind of traumatic incident, of course, there's that kind of mental health scenario, and people need that counseling often just to get centered enough to figure out the next steps in their life.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I remember the need for that after Hurricane Andrew here in Miami. Absolutely. Or any of these disasters. Any of the disasters. I mean, the people in New Orleans. I mean, it just, you know, we could go on and on about that. You know what uh-huh. I you know what I also think of when, you know, during these things, you know, obviously the people, Um the impact on the animals because I'm such an animal lover and I saw some things that just like <laughs> broke my heart. I don't I don't need to know like the specifics because it'll tear me apart. <laughs> but there was also agencies helping, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And Pat, at our, in, in our region, everybody has animals and uh, not just dogs and cats. Horses. Uh, horses and, and uh, you know, farm animals. And it is a huge part and as you see, the wildfires going on in our region now, um, most of them are occurring in small rural communities, where that, that's the deal. So uh, all of the relief efforts in our re- region um, have an important component of of caring for animals, um, and and that's big. I'll tell you one other story out of mm-hmm. the uh, fire. Um, so I was talking to a woman, um, and she had uh, so the fire breaks out. Uh, You might recall that in Paradise, there were only one or two ways out of town, out of out of that city in terms of the road network. Um, So she um, she says, oh, my God, I got to go. So she grabs her husband's ashes. He had died the previous year and she had his ashes in the house. Mm -hmm. So she grabs those and puts them in the car. And she grabs her dog and puts the dog in the car. And this is a big deal for everybody you talk to in their escape from these fires. They've got to figure what do I do with the animals? And, of course. You know, they're they're all thinking about the animals even in preparation, right? You know, they gotta have a plan for the animals. Mm-hmm. She grabs the dog, grabs the husband's ashes, that's it, she throws herself in the car and drives down Skyway, which is the main way out. And now, uh, you know, there's there's big trees falling on the ground and Things blowing up and everything so a, a tree falls on her car um and her car is immobilized so she's like oh my so she gets out of the car and she says um well husband's ashes i'm sorry <laughs> that's right. it right. ashes <laughs> to ashes <laughs> right uh, but me and the dog are getting out of here right um so she grabs the dog she runs down skyway um and uh, she makes it out you know alive and and uh she says to me that wasn't too bad for 72 years old right because she she had to run like about a mile and a half to get wow. to escape the deal and i asked her i said i said how did you do that what gave you the mental fortitude the physical fortitude to actually do that and she said she said i uh, the dog i was just worried about the dog um in that scenario flaming embers were fall, basically falling from the sky. I kept looking at the dog, making sure the dog was okay. And that was my whole focus as I as I escaped down Skyway. Uh, and it just a reminder of just how important pets and animals are to people. And in our region, it, it is a huge deal.
0: It's all about love. It comes down to love, doesn't it? Everything.
1: It, thank you for saying that. I think that that is, absolutely it. And I'm not like a, you know, super sentimental kind of guy, but, uh, you know, on our staff, it's interesting. We were doing um, some work, uh, strategic work last week with the staff and, you know, we're, uh, you know, I've left the newspaper business and Pat, you know how journalists start. I can be kind of cynical, right? Um, just a little. <laughs> Just a little bit. And in the social services field, you know, the, there's so many people we hire that have just like a huge heart. And I think journalists have a huge heart too, but they just display it differently, right? <laughs> um, and um, in our context here, the word love actually has has real meaning. It is It is such a driver and motivator for our team. And I've come to say, okay, I can't be... The old crusty guy all the time. I, I really need to embrace it because it is part of not only our our identity but our motivation for service.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I really think you know, if when when your intent is love, everything else falls into place, and and, and that's the work that you are doing. How how has this um, how has this job and and all that you've just described and everything you've been through how has it changed you?
1: I think um, in a few ways. One big way is um, I'm. I believe I am less judgmental of others. Um, part of it is, it, from a professional point of view, just by dint of experience, I've I've seen so much now. I've been I'm just old enough, and I've seen so much that. Um, I tend to be, you know, when when one of the things that we learn in um, like we do a lot of work around adverse child experiences. Right.
0: Around what? Um, I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. Adverse child mm-hmm. experiences, mm-hmm. ACEs, as they, they call it in mm-hmm. social services. And the basic theory of adverse child experiences of ACEs is that. Um, uh if you have a lot of them, you're going to see outcomes at the other end as an adult, right? Um, and one of the things that people say in that realm is that um, when they're dealing sometimes, let's say, with a, um, a, a young person who's committed an offense, um, the first question that they come up with is not, what did you do? the question is, what happened to you? <laughs> that, In other words, what is your background and experience that led to that? And what I've come to realize in, in basically this field, in the social services field, is that there's a reason that people behave and act the way they do. That doesn't excuse action, but it's important to understand what, what those reasons are if you're going to have real hope of helping an individual or helping a community. So from a professional point of view, I think I've trained, I've trained myself to be less judgmental and to ask more questions. Um, and I think that that also plays out in terms of, um, uh, my personal, uh, feeling. One of the issues we deal with a lot here is homelessness Mm. and, um, the, you know, kind of, a. I used to be the kind of person, if you saw somebody panhandling in the street or what have you, um, I'm going to kind of avoid that kind of situation. Um, We do that work here. And I came, I I, I had breakfast once with one of my colleagues who's in that realm and came back. And in front of my parking space, there was a guy uh, sleeping in the grass in front of my parking space at the office. Mm. And I got out of the car. And um, said, woke him up. <laughs> and of course, he was immediately defensive. And he was, you know, go away and, and, and uh, acting aggressive and so forth and so on. Um, and he thought I was there to kick him out and what have you, call the cops, whatever. Uh, and I said, no, I sat down on the curb next to him. And then I moved into the grass next to him. And we started talking. And we talked for like more than an hour. And I said, look, um, here, let me go get a bottle of water for you. It's kind of warm out here. Got, got him some water. Um, you know, he asked if he could come inside, use the restroom. I let him come inside, use the restroom. So, and from that day on, I realized um, I, I've got to suspend the judgment part of it. And uh, remember that people are human beings that need to be acknowledged and respected and treated with dignity no matter who they are. And That has changed, helped me a lot, personally. Uh, I feel better at least acknowledging someone's humanity than I do treating them like they don't exist. Right. And it's also helped the agency because um, it's helped shape our approach uh, to the way we are addressing this issue as an agency.
0: So you're happy now, you feel fulfilled. When we were talking initially, when I reached out, you know, we talked about the ish. What's your ish?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, professionally, I, I spend a lot of time, Pat, um, thinking about why am I in Redding, California? Uh, I, you know, this is a a small city, by far the smallest city I've ever lived in. It's surrounded by very, very, uh, to be honest, it's a very white, very conservative, extremely conservative community. Uh, We have the militia element up here. We have, um, in other words, of all the places I've lived, um, you know, it's the least diverse and most conservative place. Mm -hmm. And we're also, you know, two and a half hours. The nearest major city to us is Sacramento, and it's two and a half hours away. Um, And so I say, how did I end up here? I'm a New Yorker, (laughs) you know, lived in Miami, (laughs) Detroit, uh, you know, the big cities: San Jose, Washington, D.C. And I've come to think that uh, there's a reason for me being here. And um, I've had to come to peace with that. Uh, Because at times I've sat and I've said, you know, oh, I'm a big player. I should be, you know. Uh, But I've come to peace with the fact that um, I'm needed here, I think. And I know in my own psychological makeup, probably one of the biggest things for me that is a motivator is to feel like I'm someplace where I'm needed.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, in that way, yes, I, I definitely feel fulfilled. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm someplace that I, sometimes I feel like, do I belong here? And I do belong here. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be.
0: And what a gift that is. You know, I think it's a gift to you and it's a gift to the community to have you there. And even though you are so different from one another, maybe on the surface, maybe a little deeper than the surface but deep down we're all the same
1: yeah i think that's true i i um you know one of the things that has been a benefit for me i think in my life is that i've been able to live in different places mm-hmm. and you know uh and very different places miami is different is as is, is is the city in America that is most different from every place else in in America.
0: (laughs) We're the northern capital of South America.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. There's no place in America like Miami. Right. And 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 then, um, you know, uh, living in New York, living in California, you know, living uh, in our nation's capital, uh, living overseas in Africa for a few years Hmm. and one of my takeaways from all that is that um, uh, you know that, that we have a lot more in common than, than than we have that that's different, and I think for our agency here, for myself and my colleagues, the I, the, the level of divisiveness in in our country and in our discourse is heartbreaking. Because we know that, um, as an example, when COVID hits, or you know, when a when a wildfire hits, or whatever, uh, you know, the disease doesn't care what color you are, what have you. Um, the fire doesn't care, you know, what color you are, what have you. You know, you know, nice how nice your house is, you know, it's still going to be consumed if those places are around it, right? And and uh, and as we deal with clients, uh, I realize. When when I'm working with a client, uh, I don't have time to think about you know what 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 party did you vote for in the last election, or uh, what's your political view, or you know you've got a flag or a symbol on your bumper sticker that, or, or card that I don't like. I don't have time to think about that. Uh, it's it's got to be uh, we you know you're a human being in distress. Uh, our our job is to is to support that and to help you. And we we know that we can't solve problems alone in this world. Uh, you know, we know that at our agency, and I know it as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, we we hate this this divisiveness, yeah. and we at United Way, we're like united, united. <laughs> you know, we got to be united. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, you know, my wish is that um, people could. You, you mentioned the word love, and as you say. If you come at it from that perspective, then that's that's that that's ninety percent of the game right there. And if we can all just understand that, none of these problems are going to be solved by um, you know one side gets their way and the other side goes their own. That's not going to solve any of these problems. Uh, it's got to be a structural, systematic, and uh, and shared understanding of, of the solutions.
0: Absolutely, and you know, as you as you were saying that, I was thinking because I've always said, you know, if you're in a disaster or in whatever case, and you need a blood transfusion, you're going to say, "I only want to get a blood transfusion from someone whose blood is that party or that party." You're like, "Ah, uh, no, bring it on!"
1: Right? You <laughs> just want to know. We the... don't
0: ask these questions. <laughs> yeah,
1: this is long as the blood type matches, that's all I want to know. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, it's 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 um uh one you know life in Miami and I, I love living in Miami so much uh because it, it is a challenge for people from different cultures to get together and operate. And I always thought, man, I'm in a place where I could wake up, speak nothing but English all day. Still get my job done and get my life done, or I can wake up and speak nothing but Spanish all day. Still get everything done. Everything's cool. Or I could just speak both and some other stuff. Right. And and you know, you, as you know, it's not perfect uh, how everybody gets along, but and it never is, and that's the way the human condition is. Mm-hmm. But but I was like, okay, this is this is the way it is, and the way the world is going, um, where we've got to learn how to make this cultural mix work and it's increasingly so as the world gets smaller because of technology you've got to figure this stuff out
0: absolutely can't we just learn to live together (laughs) to be cliche
1: absolutely yeah i would tell you pat by the way um even from afar you're and working with you as well but um you know you radiate a positive spirit Mm. and like you were saying earlier, it's just who you are, no matter what you do. And uh, I think one of the things that I try to do uh, in a, is to maintain um, an approachability and a positive spirit. And it is challenging. Mm-hmm. um whether for anybody in their personal life or professional life to be able to do that. But I think it's really important nowadays that those people who are able to be positive with a, no matter what the situation is, you know, with a wide range of different kinds of people Mm -hmm. step up to that uh, and help provide the level of hope that is needed for our, our, our society to keep moving forward.
0: Amen. And thank you. And I think that's the perfect way to end this. Well, what a
1: pleasure. Thank you for everything you're doing. And uh, thanks for your support of, of me and, and of us here at United Way of Northern California.
0: Absolutely. Keep up the good work. Bless you for Absolutely. all that you're doing and all the people that you are helping. I'm very, very proud of you, my friend.
1: And vice versa. You take care, Pat. You too, sweetie. You take care. Bye.